So welcome to episode four of Holy Fools and the Soul of Craftwork. I'm Stephen Gross. And I'm Jesse Joyner. If you are new to the podcast, Steve and I are both PhDs in education and people of faith with a curiosity about craft learning as a means of spiritual formation. In this episode, we consider the craft of juggling. And for it, we welcome professional juggler and Guinness World Record holder, David Kane, to the show. Welcome to Holy Fools, David. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. And you are based in Cincinnati, correct? Yeah, just north of Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. And I want to hear your story, but first, what world records do you hold? Oh, uh, various ones. Uh, I've got world records for uh, speed juggling, juggling lying on my back, the most swords juggled, um, some boomerang throwing world records, ball spinning world records. Uh, I used to have the record for the tallest object ever balanced on someone's chin. That was a 60 foot pole. Um, coin catching world records. So I, right now I think I have around 19 world records. Some are with Guinness, some are with other organizations. Okay. And which, which of those would you say you're the most proud of or that you enjoy the most? Well, uh, probably the one that got me the most, most press was the balance world record. Um, uh, it was fun to do. Uh, it was crazy to be looking up and, you know, and on your chin is a 60 foot pole. Um, that, that was crazy. I'd like to retake the record, but I don't know if I ever will. It was uh, a pain to do. Oh, sure. The, the- uh, literally and figuratively. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this this is a great start because your your life, your work is already so unique that I'm sure people listening are wondering how in the world did you get into this? And so, tell us a, a little bit about yourself in general and okay. your work as a juggler and how you got into it. Uh, I I taught myself to juggle when I was 12 years old. I was really bored uh, one day during the summer. I found three balls in a drawer, went out into my backyard, and taught myself the the basic three ball juggle um, that took about an hour and a half. And then I uh, went to the local library and found uh, several books on juggling and just started to learn everything I could from those books and never looked back. Uh, I was performing professionally by the time I was 14 and uh, started competing internationally when I was 15. Uh, it just took off from there. And you've been doing it for how long now? Uh, 27, 27 years full time. Uh, so I uh, love, love doing it. Um, I, I feel called to do it. I feel that God very specifically uh, call, uh, uh, prepared me to do it. Um, because uh, growing up, I, I was an extremely, extremely introverted kid. Uh, uh, I was also, I also had uh, speech impediments or as I like to say, peach impediments. Uh, so the, the, just the idea of me talking in front of groups at all, let alone doing it for a living in front of thousands of people for 27 years, uh, totally a God thing. uh, So it clearly sounds like a calling. That's what I hear you saying. Oh yes, absolutely. How about this question? David, because I, in the pre-interview, you talked a little bit about 
the fact that as as you've aged as a juggler, there are certain things that you don't do anymore or are more tricky to do, but you've kind of reinterpreted your show, not to serve your ego, but to serve the audience. Can you talk about that? Because I think where wherever person's at in their own craft practice, whatever vocation, right. there are those limitations that we have to think through. So could you talk about that? Sure. Um, you know, I'm 53 years old. I can't do what I could do in my late twenties, very early thirties. Um, but also at, at that point in time, I was also pushing the technical limits of what I was doing pretty, pretty hard. Uh, but over time I, I've said, you know, yeah, I, I look at, uh, something I want to share. Let's see. I want to teach a certain, uh, Bible verse or a certain, uh, uh, theological concept uh, with the juggling, there are going to be s- different ways I can do that. And uh, when it, when I was younger, I probably would say, okay, well, what's the most impressive juggling I can do uh, to share this? And now, uh, especially as I get older, I say, what's the most effective way to, for the audience? Uh, but yeah, the, there have been some, there's a, a, a routine I do where I, Always for years and years and years, I did it with five clubs, a five club routine. And uh, I also like the fact that that's that's a pretty technical thing uh, for audiences. But I realized a couple of years ago that I could I could present it just a little bit better with a fairly simple ball spinning trick, which is still an impressive trick. But um my ego a little bit went, no, nah, I want to keep doing it with the five clubs. It's more impressive technically, but realizing, no, it's, I need to do it the best way. And really, it, it, in the end, I'm going to be able to do it longer in my, in my career as I age with the, the simpler one than I, I could with the five clubs. Well, that helps. How about this? Maybe you and Jessica can speak to this. Talk about the role of ego as opposed to curiosity, like how do you balance that out where you're not, you're not trying to be driven by your ego and impressed, but at the same time, you're still trying to create new things and be engaged yourself. How do you, how do you find that balance in your craft? When I think about it in those terms that I am an ambassador for Christ, I have the honor and privilege and responsibility of effectively sharing his message and try and think of it that way, it hopefully keeps my ego in check. But but also, I have to be, as far as ego, I have to be confident enough in what I'm doing to effectively present what I present. And so it, it is a balancing act. Jesse, you, I'm sure you've got yeah. ideas about that. Well, since you asked Steve, I, I, I'll answer that too. Sure. For me... And that, and that was well said, David, like it, I, I would agree that it's, it's like the ego thing. It's actually kind of still there for us variety performers. If we didn't have a little bit of that, like show offness in us, we wouldn't be doing this. Like, like there's something about our personalities, I think that enjoys showing off. And there is a bit of ego to that. The way I deal with it is I try to actually poke fun at myself about that, even in my own show. Like what, after I do a, uh, like a five ring head stack with a pancake flip, which David knows what I'm talking about. It's, it's a pretty impressive flourish looking trick to the audience. 
and they'll go wild after I do it. And, and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of calm them all down. I'll say, okay, you don't, you don't have to clap everybody. I already know I'm good at this. <laughs> and, you know. and, and that's just my way of just kind of acknowledging the fact that yes, uh, I'm a show off and, uh, this probably looks pretty egotistical, like this whole show that I'm doing and I'm just going to like roll with it and make fun of myself about it. Um, and I don't know that that's how I deal with it. I want to use it in the service of the Lord and for others, like David is saying, right? Like use the, the confidence that we have in the work that we do to, to the service of others and unto the Lord. I think he's, I think you said it well, David. I, I, I do something somewhat similar uh, I open my program uh, after they in- introduce me and I come out. I say, uh, my name is David Kane. I am known as the juggler for Jesus. Uh, I am a world champion in Guinness World Record holding a full-time professional juggler. In fact, you might be in- interested in knowing that I'm actually considered the greatest juggler in the entire world in my weight class. <laughs> yeah. Got him. Yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah. yeah. So, David, juggling is definitely an embodied practice. So how have you noticed the body's role in your learning? Well, I haven't given that too much thought, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm a bigger guy, um, uh, and I, I probably even look older than I really am. I, I, I get the... Uh, the 60 plus senior discount all the time when I go out to restaurants and movies, I'm 53. Uh, so I don't look the, I don't look like I, I should be able to do the things I can do. So I, th- I think, uh, and this is not really addressing what, what you're saying, but it's somewhat tangible, but I actually think that's uh, advantageous in a, in a way, because if I came out and I was a buff lean young looking guy like Jesse, it's not as unexpected that you can see some really great things. But when it's an old fat guy, old fat bald guy, you don't expect him to be able to do the things I can do. So I I think that almost adds a, uh, an additional element to the entertainment aspect of what, what, what I do. So David, are you saying you're the Trojan horse of juggling? Kind of, kind of. That's great. And you're too kind, David. I, I think you're talking about my myself 15 years ago, but oh. I, I'll receive it. You were talking about like serving others and doing your tricks in the, in the service of the audience and whatever is most effective uh, to your your goal of, of presenting the gospel. Um, you probably wouldn't know what is effective if people wouldn't give you feedback. So talk about that. What's some of the feedback you receive from people what are the things they tell you, like what your show means to them and what it does for them? Well, um, I get feedback in a n- number of different ways. Um, I video myself fairly often so I can self-critique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often have other people or, or I haven't done it in too much recently, but in the past, I've often had other people watch my program and give me copious notes. Um, uh, and th- that was really helpful, especially when I was uh, getting started to have people do that. Um, and then I just listened to the audience. I listened to the people afterwards saying, 
oh, I loved this. I love that. I love this. Or even sometimes just asking people, what'd you like the best? What, what worked? What didn't? Just listening to them and also paying attention during the program itself. You can get a lot of feedback during uh, the program itself. Yeah. So, so you, you have to listen to the audience and you, it, that also shows that you don't always know how something's going to go over, uh, both positively or negatively. Uh, some things you may say, oh, this is an amazing uh, way of presenting this concept and it doesn't go over the way you think it will. And sometimes, and, and what's funny is quite often the really simple things uh, go over really well. And some things you're like, ah, this is going to be an amazing way of sharing this really intricate uh, theological concept. And it bombs. I've run into the so, same thing. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's counterintuitive, but yep, you, you never know until you do it and, and you get that feedback loop. Absolutely you, right. David, how about this? So uh, a number of the people that are listening to this podcast will be in some creative field, not juggling, but some creative field in which they maybe sense in order for me to get better, I'm going to need to invite people in to give me some critique and feedback. But that's hard. Um, When you're in something that's a creative art, you're going to get feedback. But how do you discern between the feedback that's unhelpful and unthoughtful and the feedback that is more helpful, more thoughtful, because in a sense, you're kind of curating your feedback that you're getting yeah. because oftentimes the people that probably give you feedback aren't the people that you necessarily need the feedback from. How does that work? Right. You, you certainly are curating the feedback. Um, part of it comes down to uh, honestly thinking about what, what they're saying, you know, in the end, you are the, the artist. And it's going to be your choice in the end, uh, unless you're in a very uh, limited capacity as where you actually have a director. I'm never in that that uh, almost never in in that type of setting. But um, so you're your own director, and so it's going to come down to you in the end. But also, you can pray about it. You can ask other people, you know, I got this feedback. I trust you, uh, Jesse, I trust you as another uh, Christian juggler. What do you think about this feedback? So you're not in it alone. You, you And what you said before that, David, made me think about ego, like about the reluctance of, of jugglers in particular to receive yeah. constructive criticism. I wonder if that's like a dark side to our personalities as show-offs and, and full of ego that could be connected. That's just me. Oh yeah. It, it could be, listening. it could be connected. Yeah. Um, I, I have a, a, uh, Christian illusionist friend who said to me, um, he said, Dave, you're really talented and you're really smart. Uh, and you're a really nice guy. And I think God made you ugly just to keep you humble. Back to the Trojan horse. Yes. Thank you for that compliment. The next question is this, David, we, we call this the Holy fools podcast. So what, what is, what is foolish about juggling slash variety performing that a lot of people out there might not understand, like from the perspective of you as a juggler, what is foolish about what we do? Cause I, cause I do similar. Well, I mean, as a juggler, you're, you're fighting gravity. 
<laughs> and that's always a losing battle uh, or usually a losing battle. Uh, you know, I, we're, we're taking something very obscure uh, and something that is quite often looked looked down upon. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a single guy. I don't have uh, women lining up because they want to date a juggler. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so it, 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 it's something that's, you know, not, not something that most people would think of as a great career or whatever, but at the same time, I'm, I'm using it to share the most important message that's ever been shared. And, uh, and to, uh, to do something that has eternal impact. I just have to keep the faith and keep doing the work that I'm called to do. Yeah. There's that Trojan horse again, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. The unassuming, the irony of that. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about failure now. Like what is, what is failure taught you along the way in this vocation or the idea of trial and error or, or as jugglers call it dropping. We either physically in a show or metaphorically in, in our work, like what does failure do or teach you? Well, it, it keeps you humble. I mean, like I, like I joked just a little bit ago, you know, we're, we're our job is is trying to fight gravity, and that's yeah. a humbling experience. Very much so. Um, you know, uh, if if you want to do something quality and juggling, it's probably not going to come easy. It's going to take practice. It's going to take commitment. Um, you know, Jesse, you and I have talked in the past about perseverance and how how important that is to a juggler. That's a huge key to being a, a successful juggler is being someone who uh, has perseverance. Yeah. David, how about this question in the, in the pre-interview, you talked about a couple of different times where you had brushes with high exposure, whether that was, you know, being on the gong show or America's got talent or the letterman show or uh, children's series. And for one reason or another, just didn't pan out. So talk about how you've had those experiences and, they didn't disillusion you because I, I think when a person comes into a craft and a creative field, they, they have these ideas about what it's going to become. I'm going to blow this up. It's going to be amazing. You know, I'm going to become uh, a celebrity in this field or a super recognized um, person in this field. And sometimes that doesn't happen. So how does this person continue to be and pursue quality at whatever scale they're given? Right. Yeah. I I have had a lot of brushes with the, uh, kind of taking the next step in, in worldly uh, acknowledgement, I guess, uh, you know, I, I was booked to be on the David Letterman show and it can't, they canceled out two days before I was supposed to be on, uh, flew out to LA to be on the gong show and filmed it. And the act went perfect, but then they cut my act for time. Uh, I was on America's Got Talent, but they just showed me briefly a couple of times. They didn't never featured my act the way that I was certainly hoping they would. Um, I filmed it, uh, 31 episodes of a children's TV show that's never been completed and never been picked up. I, I've had a couple of things. You know, I was on on the, the Today Show. Uh, I'm, I'm supposedly going to be on the CBS Sunday morning show here in the next couple of weeks. Um but uh, I, I think sometimes that's uh, well. It's just in life in general, entertainment world, for every successful thing you get, there are a lot of close calls and lots of. I think that that's going to be true for everybody. I mean, uh, 
Yeah, I, I think that's true for everybody. But uh, I, I think it, it comes down to a number of things. I think uh, things like that can be helpful. I mean, I think it's helpful for me to have, you know, Guinness World Record and a scene on America's Got Talent on my resume. But there, it's those things are not going to change anything in life. Um, uh, you know, I, I talk about in one of my routines, I talk about how, you know, yeah, you can find me in the Guinness World Record book, but that, and, and from a very early age, even before I learned to juggle, I was obsessed with the Guinness World Record book. I read it every year, cover to cover, I memorized world records. I wanted to be in that book. Now, many years later, I finally got in the book. You know how it changed my life? Not one iota. Mm-hmm. I, but then I talk about, but my name is in another book, and that's the Lamb's Book of Life, and mm. that's what matters. And so, it it in the end, it it all keep helps me keep an eternal perspective. That yeah, I didn't get that thing. I might get this thing, but what really matters is the work I'm doing, the relationship I have with my Creator. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I think failure in general just helps keep those things in perspective and we all need to hear that yeah and so this this is now the flip side of educated failure is flow so that experience that craftsmen sometimes talk about of where the work seems to just come together in a productive way and time seems to kind of shorten and they find that flow so i love to hear from both of you because you're both world-class jugglers what's that experience of flow like for you guys as jugglers and how do you get into flow more often Jesse, you want to go first? You want well, me to go I'll, first? Okay, I'll try to be brief because I want to hear more of yours. But for me, I get nervous. I still get nervous and butterflies before every single show. Like I have this fear that I'm going to step out there and I'm just going to fall flat on my face. I'm going to fail. I'm going to let them all down. And it's going to be the end of my career. Like I have this mental mushrooming issue with myself where I just do that like before I go out every single time. And the, the, the second I start talking and then when I start juggling, it all goes away. Like, like all of those fears and all of those anxieties go away when I start doing what I'm there to do. Like when I get into the flow and it, and it happens right away because I've done it so many times, but I just find that very fascinating that when I, when I step into the flow, it's all of those fears and anxieties leave. And, and I'm suddenly in a place where I can serve people with the gifts I've been given um, and not be afraid. But go ahead, David. Well, see, I, I'm the exact opposite. And I, I hear people say that all the time. I don't get nervous at all. I, if, even if <laughs> even being on America's Got Talent or the Today Show or something like that, no nerves whatsoever. Um, I, I, I don't know why that is. I I I'm glad that I don't get nervous, but, uh, uh, but with, with flow, you know, I, I have six or seven hours of material that I can share, but I typically sh- share roughly the same 45 minutes, give or take. I, most of the time it's, uh, if, if it's a new audience, I'm doing my standard best of 45 minute type thing. And I've done it so many thousands of times that I, I can do it in my sleep if I want. Uh, and I can, 
I can do my grocery list, grocery list for the week while I'm doing my show if I wanted to. But I try not to do that. I try to use the fact that I can do the juggling and share the message so naturally and so effectively that I can really pay attention to the audience and tweak the tiny minutia of what I'm doing message-wise, juggling-wise, to do the very best that I possibly can for them. Um, When you are in the flow of what you do so well that you can almost step outside of what you're saying and doing and notice those little things and then tweak those things. To me, that's a a very unique type of flow. Uh, And the funny thing is people talk, people come up to me and they, it just happened last week and they say, Oh, you don't, it, 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 it never feels like you're performing. You're just, you're talking to the audience and you're so into it and it it doesn't feel like it's memorized or it is so memorized and so natural that I can not have to pay attention to the juggling and what I'm saying. And that, that allows me to then connect to you in the moment. If that makes sense. It doesn't. It sounds to me that from you're both saying that the training that you've done has set the table for you to be able to attend to different. I mean, early on in your career, when you're just trying to figure out a basic routine, you don't have the bandwidth to be able to focus in on those fine tune adjustments that a master can. Is that true? If I could, I want to add something to that, David, that uh, when, when I was early on in juggling, I made the mistake of doing a repeat show a year later, this is a full year later. It was like a Valentine's night for this same group of kids. And I made the mistake of doing my go-to show twice. Like I did it, I did it the first year I came and they invited me back the second year and I did the exact same thing. And, And I was a rookie at this, so I didn't know. And while I was doing my show, the kids were feeding me my lines. And it was then that I realized two things. Number one, I got to come up with some new material for repeat shows. (laughs) Number two, this is a powerful, effective communication tool, like a juggling show. Because if I would have just lectured those kids the year before, they probably wouldn't have remembered anything. But because I was juggling and bringing it to them in that medium, that art, they remembered it word for word, so much so that they could feed me my lines. And so it encouraged me that this is a powerful art form. And and I want to I want to use this this lightning in a bottle or this fire. I want to steward it with with wisdom. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that. Absolutely, absolutely. David, let's talk spiritual formation because we're we're curious about how the things that we do can form us spiritually as well in the work we pursue. So, okay. how has the pursuit of the of mastery and juggling helped to form you in your own faith? A, a juggler has to have uh, some self discipline. They have to. Uh, have the the ability to uh, keep going and not give up. Uh, uh, they have to have a desire to learn, and those are are things that can apply to your life as a Christian very easily. I mean, 
And then also just the idea that a failure, you know, you're, you're, you're going to fail as a juggler and you're going to fail at, at, uh, in life as a Christian, uh, you're going to mess up and you can't just give up. You got to pick up those balls. You got to pick up your life and keep going with this. So I'm curious, I had this experience uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was at the public library. They brought in, um, they do shows throughout the summer. They brought in two clowns and they were juggling and doing different things. And I was in the audience and I'm working on the show notes for this, for this podcast, clearly just into what I'm doing. And they asked for volunteers in the audience and I didn't volunteer, but they picked me out. And then I said, no, thanks. And then they got the crowd to heckle me on, to get me to come right, on stage. Right, right. And I went on stage and they made me put on a bear suit and a tutu and do some different things. Sure. Now, afterwards, it felt like that probably wasn't the best experience for me. Right. So my question is, for you, A, was that bad craft as a juggler working with an audience? And then also, how does a person who is growing, then we're thinking of the apprentice question, recognize their own bad craft and the changes they need to make. Because for example, I, I teach and tonight I teach a class. And if I stay up and watch binge on Netflix the night before, I'm not going to be very attentive for me and what I do as an instructor, that's bad craft. Right. So for you, was that bad craft what they did to me? Should I feel, yes. should I feel injustice? And then how yes. do you know you're bad? Craft? I, I believe it was bad craft because uh, I mean, Yes, I can. I understand why someone would be tempted to do that, uh, but in the in the end, it's bad craft. Uh, you're always going to work better with someone who wants to be up there. And that and there are people who would disagree with me on that, but uh, I feel that if someone doesn't want to be on stage, do not at all bring them on stage because. The person that doesn't want to be on stage, if you get them on stage, they might bail on you halfway through. They're, they're probably not going to be nearly as cooperative as the person that wanted to be on stage. But also, you don't want to be, you don't want to get the person who desperately wants to get on stage. There's a there's a, a, a balance point there. Dave, so, that makes that makes me think of something you've told me before about your work as a hospital care clown. Yes. About uh agency like giving giving the child the choice can, yeah. can you can you t tell us about that that just made me sure. think of that uh yeah so I, I work one day a week at the world's largest uh, children's hospital uh as the supervisor of the hospital clowns and as a hospital clown and one of the the things that we uh do with that is uh we're the only people in the hospital that a child usually has the ability to say no to. And we really do give them agency to do that. If, if a child says, you know, if, if we go to a room, we say, Hey, we're the hospital clowns. You'd like to see some juggling magic music or any of that. And they say, no, we're like, all right, have a great day. And oftentimes they'll be like, Oh, cause they never get to say no to doctors or nurses or their parents or their technicians or whatever, we're the only people that they get to say no to. And so oftentimes us respecting the no will eventually turn that into a yes. Mm, that's powerful. Um, when it comes to like choosing a volunteer during a show, 
you don't know you you don't know that child. You don't know if they have trauma, if they're super introverted. You don't know anything, and so that that's part of why I say respect their their no, because I, I I've seen people not respect the no, and man, they regret. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you, I got a little trauma from that uh, bear suit. It had been used about a million times oh, sure. and smelled the bo. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for being like our it. our holy fool today, David. And if anybody, if all of us listening out there would like to learn more about David and his juggling and his ministry, you could find him on am I right, davidkane.com or no, is it, or is it more specific? Christianjuggler.com. I'm sorry. www.christianjuggler.com and you will find right. all you would need to know about David Kane, the juggler for Jesus our holy fool for today. Thank you, David. You're very welcome. This episode of The Soul of Craftwork is brought to you by the Roaring Fork Fellows Program. Are you a 19 through 29 year old interested in starting well in your career with a strong faith and work foundation? The Roaring Fork Fellows Program is a nine month internship for young adults located between Aspen and Vail in the Roaring Fork Valley of Colorado. For more information, go to roaringforkfellows.com.